Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hello, everybody. Welcome to 2020. Fuck. I know, right? <laughs> We've made it this far, and it's like, oh, God, just kill me now. Uh, and, you know, I guess also just welcome to Broadway Breakdown. <laughs> I guess. I guess. I mean, I don't know what else they're tuning into. Uh, Race Chaser or, or something like that. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm, I'm one half of your hosts. Matt Koplik. And I'm the other half of your host, John Muscavage. Um, I haven't seen John uh, since before the new year, so this is nice. This yeah. Is you no, look, it's... you're glowing with uh, sickness. It's <laughs> wonderful. I know. I truly have that dewy, like, has he eaten in a week glow? No. <laughs> you know, we both actually have, so John and I are both wearing baseball caps. We have a little bit of scruff, and it's just sort of like... It's like we're both transitioning from twinkdom into manhood right now. Well, I tried to shower for you. I, I there, <laughs> you tried. I, to I shower? did. I tried to shower for you this morning, but we don't have any hot water right now, or at least like the hot water is not kicking in fast enough. I was letting the water run for a while. It was still quite cold, and I was like, Mm-mm. "No, I'm not taking a cold shower before we record this podcast because I want to be." warm <sighs> yes i want to be I, nice and ready for you all uh, um, and and prepared and, and open wide open yeah um how's your 2020 been so far besides the flu that you got this week you know there's an old saying that goes the chances of getting cancer and audited in a seven month period are very low but I got it. You got audited? <laughs> I'm being audited. Literally, I got a letter December 30th. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm being audited by the state of Utah. I worked there for six months in 2016. I When I filed my taxes in 2017, I, it was the last year I did them by myself. Mm-hmm. And I did them with H&R Block online. And I remember specifically the reason why I this was the last year I did them by myself was because I had spent over four hours one night on the phone with people from H&R Block mm-hmm. trying to get a straight answer about how to actually file my state Utah taxes. Mm-hmm. And... Finally, had multiple people tell me this was how to do it. Show enough, they were wrong. Mm. So the state of Utah's like, you filed everything incorrect. <laughs> um, you owe us somewhere between like six hundred to a thousand dollars. Um, all these like really great things. And then as I was re-looking through my taxes, more like right as I was about to like bite the bullet and just be like, I guess Utah's right. I was looking through my federal and I realized that this huge form that I had filled out that like, I don't know if you've ever filed taxes on the H&R Block by yourself. It is a nightmare. Mm. But part of the really confusing thing is that like, it's supposed to be super easy because you just like fill, they ask you questions in like a really manageable way of like, what is this? Or like, what did you earn this? Or what Mm -hmm. is this? And then like, they'll be like, did you do this? And then you have to fill out this form. And so it's supposed to be that all these questions that you answer are just like automatically then carried over into your tax Mm -hmm. form. Uh, And so this huge form about where like thousands of dollars in deductions as being a performer that I had added together didn't get carried over to my federal. So my federal is also completely off for that year. So now I have to amend all of my 2016 taxes. Um, 
So I kicked off 2020 in a great, great spirits. Just like super like, fuck. And then... Um, I guess this I, is also what you get for just like being existing. you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's what I'm learning. Because then as soon as like the anxiety of all of this kind of like subsided... You know, I, I was super anxious. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I'm going to implode. Like, seriously, this is so fucked up. I got the flu. Yeah. And so I've I've been vomiting and not being able to eat. And, uh, you know, people think that being John Wascavage is easy. And I'm here to tell you, it is. Yeah. But, like, it just sucks. Yeah. It's terrible, <laughs> it's, but it's easy. It's terrible. If anyone would like to swing on as me, yeah. the job's yours. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. I'm not a woe is me type person because like fuck that noise. Like life is still a gift, yada yada. But <laughs> but truly, like people people were like, Happy New Year and I was like, I'm being audited. Fuck you. Like go fuck yourself. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. I'm so sorry. So, so that's like been my life since we've seen each other. Mm-hmm. How have you been? <laughs> um, I also uh got the flu. Oh, no. um, yeah, right before New Year's. So it was like mm. my body was purging 2019 from from itself. And you started the New Year skinny then. Um, I mean, I was already skinny. I just like, yeah, I went I went from like skinny to like supermodel. Are you okay? Yeah. Like Kate Moss. That was where I started 2020. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm doing okay. Uh, just trying to chuck along, keep myself busy, distract myself from my existence the way that we all are. And I said trying to check a lung, and I was like, how? <laughs> I tried to check my lung. Uh, yeah, no, this, I mean, honey, just if you're committed, you can you can check Reach anything. Reach in there. Reach yeah. in there and get that lung checked, baby. Either either direction, from mm-hmm. above, from below. Yeah, just you know, commit. <laughs> Uh, so first of all, John, since we last spoke, you saw something that I but had seen. I, but I can never unsee. You can never unsee. can never unsee. I'll be brief, as as it normally goes in these things where you see them first, do your dissertation about them, and then I see them weeks later, and I'm like, oh yeah, that was okay. nah, nah. <laughs> Yeah, I saw the Cats movie. I, it could be summed, in, you know, down to a couple words. Hellscape nightmare horny yeah you know why were they so horny they've always been horny they they have no so okay i feel like they leaned into the horniness in a way that a a pg movie i don't know i think (laughs) when it's when it's that like up close and it's tom hooper so like it's up close the it's just like more aggressive because on stage like they are horny. It's just that it's so far away that, like, it's not as uh, upsetting. And again, like, there are things you just forgive on a stage that you don't forgive on screen. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew I wasn't going to forgive a lot anyways. I had to bribe. I, I saw it when I was home over the holidays. I had to bribe a friend from home. I paid for her ticket because mm. I, I, like, I was like, I need to do this. Yeah. I can't do it alone. We went to a really nice movie theater area that happened, you know, just accidentally happened to sell large margaritas. So we got ourselves some frozen margaritas and we sat down and yeah, you were asking if I had seen the updated version without Judy Dench's hands in the ring. So uh, question or query, Mm -hmm. query or just... Everyone was saying that you could tell if you had seen the updated version because you you wouldn't see you, you're, the old version had Judy Dench's hands. Everyone was so focused on Judy Dench's hands. They all had human hands. Yes, they did. Well, so okay. Um, first of the full tea, I I had been like keeping up to date on people who like were seeing both versions. Apparently, her ring is in both versions. Like that's just right. That's yeah. what I had read as well. And yeah, so I, 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 I was it, wondering what what the fuck are people talking about? Well, so yeah, I mean, and before even her hand, like I noticed it with actually Jennifer Hudson first, and, and like what it is is that um, so much of the CGI just looked unfinished. Yes, Look, looks it looked unfinished. Uh, <laughs> And apparently, like, the updated version was just, like, 
small tweaks. So, I mean, there were things that I had read about that I couldn't see just because there was so much Bitch, to look we're at. all high seeing it. Like, we're going to notice the small tweaks. I mean, I don't even know. Because people were saying how there were times, like, a cat in the background would move and they just, like, would become a blob. And I never, I never saw any of that. Again, like, there was just so much to see on that screen. And I, like, was looking for that. And I could never find it. I just noticed how... Um, yeah, like they they had full on human hands, and it's not and feet and feet. Yeah. But and people were like, "Well, what do you expect? Like, you know, it's them with CG. It's basically just them with CGI fur." It's like, no, 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 no. That's the thing is that the hands and feet did not have the fur. No. There were times where you could see like some makeup on it, but then the next shot, like, yeah. there were times when I, they had a close up of Jennifer Hudson, and I noticed it with her hands. It was like full on human hands with like human skin, human fingernails. Yes. Like it's just it looked un, it looked unfinished, and that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah. So that was, I mean, it, it, it was upsetting. And the horniness, it, yes. It was, it was horny. It was, it was a lot of just so many upsetting things. Mm-hmm. My, my friend who I saw it with, hi, Marianne, she's a listener. Um, oh, hi, Marianne. She had never seen cats before. I had only ever seen a semi. There, there's a theater in Pittsburgh that's half regional, half community theater. It's, it's, it's on that cusp that's kind sure. of questionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd only ever seen a production of Cats vis-a-vis that way before and even when it was forced upon me that way it was it was it was not fun mm. but th- this yeah i mean it, congrats on them for making something that will go down in the canon of film as just one of the biggest flops but it, it it truly has almost become a whole new genre because it also isn't camp. It's so bad that it's it's not it's not enjoyable, but you truly cannot look away. Yeah, you have to see it for yourself to believe it. I mean, I don't know if you've read any of the articles where people talk about seeing it under edibles or mm-hmm. mushrooms or LSD. Yeah, and people saying things along the lines of. I vomited four times and then reached a new level of, you know, epiphany. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, because even... Of it, transcendence. Yeah. It, 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 and I mean, when Judy Dench just turns to, and, to us and breaks the fourth wall at the end, upsetting, confusing. And also Tom, oh gosh, just fucking his... I, I, I get I, I like finish the sentence before you go on to the next sentence no you're, you're... I, I, I am I, I, like Tom Hooper the the way that I, I liked Lame is I didn't like all of his choices and, mm-hmm. I, and I, I found all those close-ups really really upsetting mm-hmm. but the the thing that kind of worked in Lame is that definitely did not work in this was his Meisner exercise freshman year acting take the text and take it completely out of time mm-hmm. and just try you know yeah, the, the, do what you want yeah Mistopheles was so ups- uh, not upsetting it was so aggravating and boring because every verse started the same way of just someone slowly going oh well there never was yeah there ever a cat's you know it, it was just it, it didn't work none no. of it worked we all know it it's, it was never going to. It was never going to. And Jennifer Hudson's not crying. Ugh. Yeah, that's my review. That's what a wonderful review. Yeah, it I, has me so kerfuffled still to this day, weeks later. Well, like the there are people. The thing that bugs me is the people who support it, and they're like, "Well, it's cat supporting it." Stupid people. I don't think they're actually supporting it. No, there there are people out there. Uh, John, I'm good. So this is going to be a theme for today with this episode. There are a lot of stupid people out there, uh, especially those who claim to be theater buffs. Uh, And I'm not one to be like, you like this, you're stupid, but Mm. you like this, you're stupid. Mm. Um, Cats movie is one of those things. Something else I'll be talking about later. Um, But the other thing is a little more complicated. This is a little more easy to just say, like, Cats is objectively a bad movie. It's poorly made. It absolutely makes no sense. And the people who support it are going like, well, it's Cats. And like, if you know the stage show, then like, it's not a surprise. And like, it's a movie adaptation. So it should right. stand on its own. Right. Um, knowing the show should just be like a wonderful companion. But like, yeah. the best movie adaptations of stage musicals work as movies. Like, they work, they stand alone. Right. And, and, and the fact that it's a 
you know, that it is a, a movie adaptation of a stage show does not excuse the fact that the scale was off in almost every shot. Every shot. The, um, inconsistencies, continuity errors. Uh, slice, loaves of bread that were the size of the cats, and then cans mm-hmm. of beans that were somewhere between the size of like a nickel, and then sometimes, and, and, and those mice children, the upsetting mm-hmm. mice children. Yeah. I will never, I will never not. No, and the, see those well, are my nightmares. And, and what's worse about that is um, both the mice and the cockroaches with the faces yeah. is that every time they like get eaten or trampled, like you hear them go, "No, no, don't do it, don't do it." And it's like, no. you're you are emphasizing to me that these things have souls and minds of their own, and we're watching them get slaughtered. Yeah, and, it's not cute. And with the mice children, I mean, it, uh, with the cockroaches, I guess it's kind of more palatable because they were they, there's something. This is why am I saying this? This is so bizarre. But Welcome I, to cats, bitch. But, but this is these are the kind of questions that that cats is making us ask of ourselves, making us <laughs> ask of our morals. Um, there's something more palatable about seeing a an adult die than a child die. Oh, and- that's where we differ. <laughs> I I'm so here for children dying. No, you know, but you know what I mean. No, I, I, mean I mean those were a. Those were adult cockroaches, or at least adult-faced cockroaches. Yeah. And the mice were... The I'm mi- also pretty sure all the cockroaches were women. They were. Yeah. Which yeah. is like, I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't know like why I even brought that up. But it's something that I remembered. I was like, I'm pretty sure all these cockroaches are ladies. Yeah. It, what it, you trying to say, Hooper? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm done talking about it. Okay. It's, it's upset me. <laughs> okay. Again. I, I, tr- I truly am. My, my brain is spinning right now. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Um... Yeah. I mean, there are better movies out there, y'all. You don't need to see Cats. Uh, Knives Out is delightful. I yeah, I, I saw Knives Out when I was home, and I loved it. I, I thought it was so lovely. Um, what, what is her name? Uh, Anna, Anna de, de Armas. Armas? De Armas, I think, yeah. Yeah. I had never seen a movie with her before. Obsessed. I'm yeah. obsessed with her. She's so... Charismatic is the wrong word. It's she's so I talked about this magnetic. Yes, I use the same term with um, Mary Louise Parker because like charismatic is more like a like a, I, I find it to be more like a bubbly term. Yes. but yes, she's magnetic. Mm-hmm. Um, you just and endearing like yes. she she's the heart and soul of that movie. Mm-hmm. She makes it all come together. She makes it work. Um, and I was even I mean I will say that Daniel Craig's Foghorn Leghorn detective was jarring at first, but then after like the first 15 minutes you get used to it and you're like yeah. I'm here. Well, I love it's, it. it's definitely give, give, give me a give me a flowery Tennessee Williams-esque monologue. I I was here for it. I was yeah. definitely here for it cuz it was meant to be uh, oh, yeah. Sort of like a southern version of uh, Hercule Poirot. I think it's his name, yeah. his name Poirot. Um, sure. Agatha, he's an Agatha Christie sleuth. Um, yeah. He's the protagonist in Murder on the Orient Express and a bunch of other uh, books. And the whole point of him is that he's like a caricature. He's a Frenchman with the most ginormous mustache you've ever seen. And Daniel Craig is like a modern southern version of that. Um, and I love. I mean, I loved it. I thought the whole thing was very funny. Yeah. Uh, it's. I thought it was clever and engaging. Yeah, I I thought it was so good. I saw Little Women, and I was not obsessed with it like everyone else was. Yeah, you know, actually, a lot of people have said the same thing to me. Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't seen it yet, but a, a lot of people... I, I think I think a lot of people online are really championing, you know, yeah. trying to push it forward because Greta Gerwig is a darling. She's a darling of feminism. Yeah. She, she has done some really fantastic work. And I think she, you know, although I haven't seen it, she obviously put her stamp on a, a piece that is known very widely abroad yeah. across, cross-generationally. It's, a, yes, it's, an, it's an exceptionally well-known story. Yeah. Um, and she... <sighs> I mean, it's not that it's bad. It's I mean, there are choices that I thought undermined the emotional potency of the story by doing what she did, which is the flashing back and forth and stuff, making it a memory piece. Mm-hmm. Especially because a lot of the flashing back and forth didn't make sense to me. Like why we would jump back at a certain moment to a certain memory. I was yeah. like, why this moment? Why are we coming to this part? Yeah. Um, which is something that now that I've gotten into writing the last few years, is something that I'm really kind of analyzing as I watch shit Mm -hmm. um and uh a mentor of mine who this isn't to brag but to rather say that like this guy knows what he's talking about he's an Oscar nominated Emmy nominated writer so like Mm -hmm. when he tells me these things I listen because Mm -hmm. like he's him 
he was like everything you write in a screenplay and a script like it all it all has to come back to something it has to have a reason mm-hmm. it doesn't like not every line has to be like the thing that propels the plot forward but it's got to give you either insight to a character yeah. or uh help propel like the aesthetic you're trying to do and for woo, ha, oh no uh sorry i got caught up in the cord for little women a lot of the cutting back and forth i was like i feel like she's doing this to keep us on our toes just because we know the story so well rather than like this is highlighting this trait of joe's character or or whatnot well yeah and and i mean for the sake of argument too if this is supposed to be this next generation's version of little women maybe some people haven't read little women or seen a movie previously or even my my mom had never watched a movie or read the book Mm -hmm. and my mom walked away from it going I was very confused by yeah. it. She, 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 she was. She said it was. It was very. It's interesting because a lot of people, their argument with you know why Greta Gerwig wasn't nominated for best direction, sexism, you know, yeah. anti-feminism, the, the way that men direct versus the way that females direct, is that you know men uh, kind of do all the work and are like look how good I am and like a a female you know there was this article that I read that was saying this and it was like a female will like draw you in and envelop you in the story and make Mm -hmm. you part of it but I actually don't think from what I've heard from the criticism I actually don't think she did that because I think she ostracized people who didn't know the story Mm -hmm. by giving them a very confusing set of rules where then you couldn't follow the story which is the heart of the piece exactly i mean and there so there were things she did where i was like that's very creative i right. but i don't think that it works like spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know little women um and i apologize but one of the sisters beth dies uh yeah. it's like the big thing in the book and in every version of it yeah um, i mean if you've ever sat in a musical theater class and watched a girl sing some, something two girls, to, yeah something's meant to be yeah um you know you know she dies she dies she died she died or if you ever watched friends you know rachel spoils it for joey beth dies uh but the way that greta Ger- so in the story beth gets sick and then survives but she's weakened and then she gets sick many years later mm-hmm. and this time she dies um and so in the movie, they hint at Beth being sick again. They hint at all this other stuff. And then they finally, like, get into the meat of her being sick for the first time in a flashback. Like, again, like, the movie mm-hmm. jumps all over the place in, in uh, timelines. It's very Doctor Who that way. But they basically show... They put both times she gets sick together in, like, yep. one giant montage. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. Um, and the, the reason Greta Gerwig does it is to kind of show how in this five minute segment watching Beth get sick both times and the first time making it through and the second time dying you see Beth survive and then a minute later you see Laura Dern alone in the kitchen the morning after Beth has died and you know the like oh you know five years in between like she makes it she doesn't make it and it's very clever but I did not cry I was not emotional um, and like you can say all you want, oh Matt, you know the story super well. Listen, I watch that '94 version all the time, and no matter how many times I watch it, I cry every time that Claire mm-hmm. Danes dies. Um, it's just so. It's... So does Claire Danes. Billy, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. We've been doing my topics. You do your topic, and then we'll go back. Because otherwise, then you go on a rant for 40 minutes, and I don't talk. Shut up! (laughs) We both do, you asshole. Okay. I hate you. Um, All right. So, my grandmother, Sally Coplick, turned 96 this week, everybody. Happy birthday, girl. Happy birthday, bitch. And she really, really, really wanted to see Moulin Rouge. Oh, sure. As one does. Yeah. I... Did not really desire to see it, uh, but she got her way because she's turned 96. So uh, we got we got ourselves tickets back in August for January, and we saw it on Thursday. And, uh, well, John, I... It's not a jagged little pill situation where I'm like, if you liked this, you're stupid. Um, I can understand why people like it. But I'm going to be cruel again for a quick second and just say, I found this show to be for bachelorette parties and drunk gays. Uh, have you, are you familiar with the film of Moulin Rouge? Of course I'm I familiar with the well, film. I don't know. I don't assume about anybody. I guess that's true. But, I mean, th- 
How that, do you feel about the film? I love the film. As the, do I. The, the film, I think, is very important to our generation mm-hmm. of musical theater lovers, of people who... I, I, I mean, we were, what, like 13, 14 when it came out? 11. <laughs> You're older than I am. Oh, right. I always forget that because I look younger. Um, <laughs> you know, guys, <laughs> delusion. Um, Convince yourself. yourself. But so we were, um, we were of a of a coming of age age, and I mean, I watched it for the first time with my first girlfriend in the basement of her parents' house. Oh, that poor girl had no clue. During like a virgin, when the Jello boob molds came Mm. out, I cringed and went, "Oh no, oh no!" (laughs) Like literally, she brings it up to this day that she was she she goes, you know, it was. It was a big sign. It was yeah. a big sign of things to come for you. Um, or not to come. I would say things that wouldn't make it come. Yeah. And so it, it, it's a, it, I love the movie. I still think about... I mean, I, I, we sang... Her and I, even though we weren't together our senior year, sang Come What May together for a talent show. Aww, I mean, sweet. I think of Ian McGregor's Your Song more often than I should. It's really beautiful. But it, I, I love that movie. I think it's... I, I think, is it a perfect film? No. But for it being an, a quote-unquote, you know, original jukebox musical mm-hmm. in a time where movie musicals were just kind of starting to get a revival. Yeah. it's. I think it's truly pivotal. Yeah. It, no, it, it is. I, lo- I do love the movie. I re-watched it about two weeks ago, right before I saw the show, because I wanted to... I wanted to refresh my memory on it i was like is it sure. as good as i remember it being because like I, yes i was also young when i watched it yeah. and um i want to see it was as good as i remember it being are there things about it that maybe don't work it's such a weird movie it is very weird it's a weird movie the thing about moulin rouge that's strange for me is that like it's i would never tell anyone to watch moulin rouge to learn how to make a musical or a movie musical because sure. Everything that it does that works are usually things that I'm like, this isn't what you should do mm-hmm. to make something that works. Something about Moulin Rouge works. And I was, as I was watching it, part of it is um, just on a very basic level, Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor yes. have such amazing chemistry. Oh my gosh. And they really commit to the melodrama of the of the story. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, I mean, Nicole Kidman was Oscar nominated for it. And like, there's a reason. She's yeah. they, they give it so much pathos, so much emotion, um, so much passion. And that's like, you get swept up in it. Oh, and, sure. it and it is gorgeous to look at, obviously. it's. I was also surprised at how inventive the music is used in Moulin Rouge. Because it is a jukebox mm-hmm. musical. It's, it's a lot of songs from various decades. Um, oh, yeah. They don't just like stick to the 90s and late 80s. Like they go all the way back to musical theater in the 1940s. They do mm-hmm. Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, Material Girl. Uh, uh, is it Smells Like Teen Spirit? That's the here we are now mm-hmm. entertain us. Um, yeah, they all over the place. And it's there are times when it's crazy. There are times when it's simple and it's, it's it works. It just... It's the magic of Baz Luhrmann. Yes. Um, the musical kind of takes everything from the movie and amps it up to like 11. Mm-hmm. So... F- the basic example, Nicole Kidman's entrance song is essentially just Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. That's her song. Yep. And they insert about two lines of Material Girl in the bridge, just like as a little wink of, like, we're going to... Yeah, Madonna. Yeah, like a little Madonna. Remember Madonna? Yeah, remember Madonna, like spinning it a little bit on its head. It's like, it's like a little wink and a shoulder shrug. Yeah. And it's cute. Um, Karen Olivo, they have her start with Diamonds Are Forever the James Bond song, into Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend, into Material Girl, into Single Ladies, into Shine Bright Like a Diamond. Mm. And then uh, there's some other song that, like, the guys in the background sing behind her. And it's just, it's a lot. And, like, it's it's big, it's bright, it's loud. Um, my issue with the stage show is a lot of that, that it's sort of, it's it's constantly, like, hitting you with money and brightness and loudness to distract you from the fact that there's nothing else really going on Mm. um and like yes it's moulin rouge it's it's melodramatic and it's essentially a rather shallow story but again i want to reemphasize with nicole kimmon and ewan mcgregor there was something human there to Mm -hmm. connect to so you could at least get invested in it it's not enough to just like throw money in a theater and say like we've in, we've brought you into this world and aren't you swept up in it? 
I'm like, well, no, because I don't fucking care about what's happening on stage. Mm. And it doesn't need to be fun home, but it, I need to at least have some sort of semblance of, of humanity there. And there just really isn't any in this show. Um, it's sung very well. The dancing is very impressive, although I found the choreography to be surprisingly sloppy. Uh, I will say they do a really great mashup at the beginning of Act 2 of Bad Romance and Britney Spears' Toxic, which I was not expecting. Um, they do Bad Romance like it's sort of a tango. It starts very slow. Yeah. And like every woman in that audience, when the Argentina goes, Roma, Roma, ma, and Robin Herter's just like kicking and like cooter slamming for her life during all this, everyone in that audience is like, Woo! I've had four daiquiris. <laughs> um, Who has a daiquiri anymore? The women in the audience of Moulin Rouge. The women. The women. The women all have the daiquiris. Uh, But, like, it was one of those things where it was, it worked, by the time it ended, like, it worked at a musical theater level while also being, like, a winking homage, but also then, like, it's, like, it started as a winking homage, and then halfway through, they're like, nope, fuck it, we're committing wholeheartedly to this, like, Hmm. craziness. And that's what made you go, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched it, I was like, yeah, this is Moulin Rouge. Yeah. But then they would do things... Um, or it was it was just like it was winking the entire time, and maybe if I thought the acting was better overall, I would have been invested in it. I don't want to be too mean, but I'll just say that like I was not a fan of Aaron Tveit at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like I found there to be no chemistry between him and Karen Oliva whatsoever. Mm. I thought she had more chemistry with Tam Mutu as the as the Duke. Mm. Um, they. They also like in this version the Duke and Satine fuck. They don't fuck. Yeah, oh, they do in Act One. So they also in like Act One. Well, they so they delay the whole Christian Satine romance in the show until the end. Elephant love medley happens at the end of Act One. Um, oh, yeah, they delay it because um, because huh. like Act One's supposed to end with like, well, I guess we're in it now, and like making Act Two the whole okay. drama is that like they're together while the show's happening, but like. Because of all that, you don't really see a lot of the romance. Right. Um, you don't see it grow. You don't see it last. You don't see all the ups and downs of it. It's all, like, everything, like, kind of turns on a dime. Um, but so before she, they have the love medley, basically, like, the so, like, they do the whole pitching to the Duke of the show. And then he leaves to, like, give Seedler the money. But then he comes back. He's like, now we're going to fuck. And she's like, okay. okay. And then they fuck. Uh I would. I'm sorry, my thoughts are all over the place. Um, but then again, so is the show. I would. I would like to take a moment to at least thank Alex Timbers for not indulging himself and allowing Karen Olivo to be alone on stage when she sings Firework, rather than bring on the entire ensemble to like dance or do like acrobatics. Or be fireworks. Her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like if this were the Diane Paulus Moulin Rouge. <laughs> That those bevy of ladies would come on and they would be like be metaphorical. Her mother firework would come out from behind the other fireworks. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So like Alex Timbers did that one thing where I was like that I know took a lot of restraint from you. Just like let Karen Olivo do this number. Mm. Um, And I can't rightfully say that I enjoyed her either but I saw what she was trying to do and I was like supportive of the choice if not the execution her satine is a lot tougher than Nicole Kidman's they both are they both were doing the whole like I'm a survivor and like I'm a woman in 1900 and like this is how I can survive in this time sure but whereas like Nicole Kidman was kind of doing more of a Camille uh not I don't want to say wilting flower, but she was a little more broken. Um, she, I mean, she was quite broken. Yeah, I, I would argue. Yes, and well, like, which which is also why I I I remember someone saying because the the thing that's so interesting about the movie is that that someday I'll fly away song, and when you listen to it by itself on the soundtrack, it sounds so boring. Yeah, but when it's in the movie, it it works so well just mm-hmm. because of Nicole Kidman's commitment yeah. and her overarching story but when you compare that to the song Firework one day you know one day or someday whatever it is one day I'll fly away versus Firework yeah. those are completely different songs those are com- two completely different women yes you know well see if one day I'll fly away is you know I I want to escape and Firework is like a declaration of you know I'm fierce and exactly. I'm strong uh, but if the character knows that already yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, it's it's tricky. And like Nicole Kidman is not 
a singer. No. Um, I mean, I, I don't find her voice unpleasant to listen to in the movie. Same. Um, but it's, I, it's also obviously auto-tuned a lot. Yeah. But also, like, you know, it's it, it works for the intimacy of cinema. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's all part of a giant package of, you know, she's insanely gorgeous in that movie it's oh like my gosh I, it's it's one of those things where, like you watch her and you're like it's unfair how beautiful you are in this movie yeah. even um, though i hated the jello boob molds like i was sure. watching her like that is the most beautiful woman i've ever seen in my yes goddamn like life. <laughs> when she enters the movie to start her sparkling diamond number um i read that they actually they painted her very white and would light her blue so oh. she would just look like tra- like translucent. Yeah. Uh-huh. and i'm like I yeah see that it's gorgeous um and Karen Olivo looks quite beautiful in the show as well. Uh, but like her, She's stunning. Yeah, but her version of Satine is much more like, um, I came up through the gutter, and even though I'm wearing this beautiful dress, I'm still like uh, a street rat. Like hers is like eponine and cosette clothing. Mm. Um, which is, again, like... It's, what, what kind of cosette have you seen? <laughs> well, not, not, I don't mean like horse, but you no, know, like I know, elegant I know. dresses. Um, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and there are like some mashups that are fun like they do a, a shopping number in act two with the duke where he's like trying to spoil her and he's like and he sings make you feel like you're the only girl in the world and then mm. they have her repeat material girl as like await herself of like i must survive and be a material girl mm. but then for the all is lost moment between satine and christian he stands up and he literally goes there's a fire starting in my heart and it's supposed to be like this big emotional moment but everyone in the audience just went ha Oh no! Yeah, and maybe if I thought Aaron Tveit's acting were better, I, people wouldn't have felt that way, but they did. And when he when he makes his entrance at the beginning with the Bohemians, and like, what made you come to Paris? He turns to the audience and he goes, "I don't want to wait for my life to be over." Oh, I mean that's comedy, and it's yeah. me- and it's meant to be a comedic moment. But the show is that consistently uh. to the point where, like, by the because the last five minutes they want us to weep so hard, and I'm like. How can I? You've been like shoulder shrugging and winking at me for two and a half hours in the last five minutes. You want me to like be moved? Well, it also from, I mean, I haven't listened to the whole cast album. I've listened to bits and pieces there. I wanted to listen to, one of the songs I I was very excited to listen to was your song. Because to me, Ian McGregor's version is so awesome and powerful. Mm-hmm. And I remember mm-hmm. the kind of stripped down version they, they did with it was, was I, I, I had I had an eyebrow raise. But I, I remember even the first couple of previews and people talking about it, they were just so jarred by how many songs they packed into it. So many. And and so, it, I mean, it just, it, it begs the question of how, how attached can an audience be when you are having musical whiplash? Yeah. You know, so, songs... Songs aren't eight bars for a reason. Mm-hmm. And so when you're doing eight bars of a song and then switching to eight bars of another song and then switching to eight bars of another song, I mean, there's a reason why you don't even do that. If you did that in an audition, the person behind the table would be like, I couldn't connect with you. Yeah. Because you were just here, there, and everywhere. Yeah. And so- there, there's actually a really famous story about that. Uh, Andrea Burns. Hmm. Uh, I think, I don't know if it was if she actually, but yeah, she auditioned for the Broadway company of Jerome Robbins Broadway mm. when she was like 19. And Paul Gemignani was the music director. And she goes in and she did a mashup of like 10 songs from the show. Mm-hmm. So like did like four bars of I'm Flying into Gotta Get a Gimmick into mm-hmm. Comedy and blah, blah. And it, she finished and Paul Gemignani just looked at her like she was crazy. And he was like, so I'm going to call you back. He's like, because I can tell you're very talented. He's like, but never do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- yeah, like there's, a, as he said, there's a reason why songs are not eight bars. Elephant Love Medley was another one in this where like they they added so many more songs to they it. They added more songs to it? So oh, the beginning and the it's end. It's so good the way that it It is. really is. The beginning and ending of Elephant Love Medley is the same. It starts with, you know, the all you need is love and the I was made for love and you baby. And they ended it with the I will always love you. Um, Does the moon still sing? No. No, that's the other best part. I of know it. the moon singing. <laughs> well, because again, it's the end of Act One, so it's it's this big like flashy thing, and they have them kiss in a big like dip, and they have two mm. people twirling in the air. But they <laughs> add a million sure. more. They add a million more songs in the middle. So like at one point, Karen Oliva sings "What's Love Got to Do with It." Love is a battlefield. Um, Aaron Tveit sings something that like they add like maybe five or six more songs and it just feels very overstuffed mm-hmm. um, again, and, and again none of those songs have more than five seconds or six seconds worth so it's just like whiplash 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 mm-hmm. um, it's I find 
to me the mashups that are the best are the ones where like there's one song that is the skeleton mm-hmm. and then things flow in and out yeah. um like so for example in the movie when they go to the Moulin Rouge for the first time, and it is very chaotic because it's meant to be. It's meant mm-hmm. to be, you know, Christian's first time there and it's very overwhelming. Yeah. But even with all that overwhelmingness, Smells Like Teen Spirit is the skeleton of the song. Mm-hmm. That is what comes in and out throughout the entire thing. And then other things pop in and out. Can Can, Lady Marmalade. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Uh, Ziegler also, like, very much earnestly sings Chandelier while he's getting Christian drunk on absinthe. And it's... Okay. Yeah, okay. it's it's a lot. It's a lot of songs jam packed in there. A lot of them are just so well known and so, um, so uh, pop culture oriented that you can't separate the two. Like it, the movie was really good about surprising you with the songs that they chose and making them work and make them sound like a whole. And I will actually say, Justin Levine did the arrangements and the orchestrations. I don't know what they're paying him, but it's not enough because he does a really, really good job sure. of making it all sound cohesive in, in like one specific genre. Mm. Um, and he takes things and he flips them on their, on its head. He does what he's asked to do, which he takes all these songs that jo- John Logan's like, I want bad romance and toxic and the Dawson's Creek theme song and Love of Battlefield and you know Justin Levine's like okay um, let, you know, let me yeah. work on it uh, and like Rolling in the Deep is actually mashed up with Crazy like you drive me crazy and they do Raise the Glass with Shut Up and Dance with Me it's all like but it's just a some, lot of mashup 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 um, yeah some, some clever things yeah but, hmm. I was also I mean I, I would also say I was very surprised kind of how sloppy I found a lot of the staging to be um, the set is beautiful for the most part. Like the set design is very impressive, and the lighting design is great because they make they make sure you know where to look. Since Alex mm. Timbers doesn't do that himself, uh, oh. yeah. Uh, I mean, I've always said he was a very brilliant uh, visualist, Alex Timbers. But the last two shows, this and Beetlejuice, I was surprised at like how basic the staging was. Mm. And we've discussed how much I actually quite enjoyed Beetlejuice, but that was something where I was like, interesting, like. For this whole song, you just have two characters like cross downstage with each other constantly, like nothing else. Mm. Um, Moulin Rouge is a lot of the same, where it's like uh, so much of it, especially like in the elephant dressing room or in the the loft, like it's just them standing around, and the set does the most majority of the work. And the set is most is pretty much beautiful. But what's what's interesting about the set is I don't know if you've been backstage at the Al Hirschfeld Theater. Mm-mm. I have. Uh, it's not. It's nothing to brag about. Well, then, fine. I I, I quit. Yeah, you're, I, I I bring nothing. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. There were a couple of times during Moulin Rouge I sat there. I was like, I give up. Uh, but this, I knowing how small it is backstage, and like it's actually not a very large stage in general. Mm-hmm. It's Derek McLean's set design is very clever because it's actually a lot of small pieces that come together to create the illusion of grandeur. But I mm. wouldn't say that like which. You can debate is the original magic of Moulin Rouge small pieces, but if there are too many small pieces, you just get a you just get a bunch of Legos on the floor. That yeah, you a, bunch of le- on. a bunch of Legos on the yeah. floor. I mean, it's 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 a very clever set design. He really makes a lot of things come together to create this idea of spectacle. It's truly it's a lot of backdrops, mm. um, a lot of flats to fly in and out that again give you this idea of abundance and then there's a middle part of the stage that ri- uh, rises up and down a lot um to create like a stage within a stage with steps sure so it, it there are so many times you watch you're like oh like how are they, how do they fit that all backstage and then it all breaks apart you're like oh it's actually like a bunch of small things that mm-hmm. float away so it's very clever um clever but game. yeah the staging i was like I was like oh, I was lobby like the opening it's a lot of um people like standing on the sides while people kick face in the middle and then they go off to the side and people come in in the middle I'm like it's like a like a dance circle okay yeah which okay. is just like very um I don't want to say okay. simplistic because I'm all for simplicity sometimes if it's effective but it was just yeah okay. um if you liked Moulin Rouge I don't begrudge you uh I can understand why people like it uh I think on a chemical level, it's interesting to watch like people sing really high and look really pretty and mm. kick face and have all this abundance around. But yeah, um, it's shocking what we let pretty things get away with sometimes. Well, case in point, The Bachelor. Baby, I beg to differ with you. How do you mean? You're the top. Yeah. You're an arrow collar. You're the top. You're a Coolidge dog. So moving away from that. 
Let's go to something that's really important. Encore. Yes. <laughs> Encore and Disney Plus. So I believe they just finished the first season. Um, I had I've been an avid watcher this season. Um you so know, what is it exactly? Yeah, so for those who haven't been watching, Encore is this magical little thing that is kind of hosted by Kristen Bell, or actually sometimes she doesn't show up in an episode at all. She kind of pops... Sometimes she's, sometimes she stops in and coaches people. Sometimes she she has nothing to do with it. it it's very interesting. She's but, like RuPaul sometimes. Under, like, no, I, like, no? Not, not even... It, it, she, I guess she's just kind of, she's kind of like God to uh, the Jews in the Old Testament. Sometimes she's there and uh, holding their hand along the way. And sometimes she just goes, you're going to wander through the wilderness for 40 years all by yourself. Good luck. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I have to go shoot the good place now. Yeah, exactly. So Encore is this magical show that asks the question, what if we make a bunch of people who did theater in high school rejoin you know, come together 20 years later and uh, do a revival of their high school musical. And there are just so many parts that are so wonderful to it. I think you would enjoy it. The first couple of episodes I watched and and I, I, I was, I was, I was, I, you know, I, I liked it. And then, sure. And then it kind of gets a bit more reality TV-ish and a little trashier, and I kind of started liking it more. Like, are there fights and like and things like that? It uh, so the first couple episodes, everyone's really it seems very Disneyfied, and, uh-huh. and so that that was actually my my first couple qualms with it was it it, it are it's these people who are all very. It, <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm just pissed at the state of Utah for auditing me, but it's all very Utah theater. Utah and theater theater to Utah, it goes the Mormon church and then Disney theatrics mm-hmm. in the hierarchy of the state of Utah mm-hmm. religion. And so it all seemed very just kind of cookie cuttery and people, you know, going, I haven't done this. I'm trying to remember what the first show is. Isn't the first show Annie? Or is it Oklahoma? Yes, the first show is Annie. And so it's these people, you know, going, I haven't done Annie in 15 years, and here I am, and now I have a husband, and blah, 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 and I played Daddy Warbucks, but now I'm actually bald. And and, and so the first couple episodes are, are kind of meh. I mean, the, the they also bring in professional theater directors to direct these productions. The first episode, they get Tony... Nominee? Tony winner? Marsha Milgram Dodge? Nominee. Nominee. That's what I thought. Um, And it was very interesting watching a Tony nominee director interact with these people who are not actors. Um, And then as the episodes kind of progress, they kind of start getting their footing as to kind of how they get the emotional, like, cathartic side of reality TV out. They start doing, um, which if you've ever done theater, Kim, which I know you have, they start doing kind of, quote-unquote, therapeutic, kind of, sit down on the floor, breathe, let your body melt into the space, Mm. look to your left, you suddenly see your teenage self next to you, what do you wish you could say to them? And you know, kind of those kind, Run! you know, kind of those kind of tropes and 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 things to to kind of force an emotional response. And you know, the first couple episodes are, are fine and good. And then I think it's Annie, get your gun. Things get real good because for the <laughs> first time, this woman. Because up until then, every episode they show up, they make them either sing a song from the show or they make them sing what was the popular pop hit from the day. And they kind of would do them dirty, where where most of these people aren't pop singers, so they're making them sing, you know, mm, rock me like a hurricane. But instead, they're like rock me like a hurricane. It's yeah. it's so awkward. And then at the end, over the credits. They, they would only do a montage of that, but then over the credits, they would play just the audio of everyone's uh, audition. Oh, no. Yeah, and so it gets a little catty, but then um, for uh, they would always just have them reprise their role. There was never a question of, oh, blah, 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 do this, or yeah. maybe do this. But in Anna Get Your Gun, this one woman, this hero, this queen, shows up and she, and she goes, I want to play Annie Oakley and I want to throw my hat in the ring. And everyone's like, oh, go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. And no one knows how to respond. And it just kind of sets... 
believe it or not, the real true hero of Disney Encore is chaos. <laughs> it's when someone comes in and they throw a wrench in the wheel or when, I mean, the first couple of episodes, it's awkward, but there's also not always a romance. You know, I think the second episode is is Beauty and the Beast, so it's also very Disney-fied. Mm-hmm. But as they start doing shows like Pippin, where sex and sexuality are things, um, it starts getting weirder. And, you know, some of these people hadn't seen each other in 20 years and had a high school romance and are now married with two kids. And now they have to stage kiss their ex-high school lover. And then mm-hmm. you have to watch their spouse watch... watch them make out with their high school ex on stage and it's chef's kiss you know that's that's the magic of Disney Encore is watching these people just completely have to be forced out of their box and then also as the series progresses there are just some really awesome moments where people really kind of step out of the box and question and bring up things that are not typical Disney topics. You know, this one woman, and I think it was Annie, get your gut. No, it's Greece. It's Greece. She had, and maybe this is also just because of my journey over the past year, that it really struck me. And I normally would have kind of emotional responses to the different episodes. Mm-hmm. But this woman uh, had, has this, I don't remember the name of it, but basically she has this condition where her body cannot stop producing brain tumors. And she has had surgery multiple times and she's at a point in her life where she has now decided that the next time, and she has one as the show is going on. Mm-hmm. You know, she has a couple days where she has to call out because she is yeah. not well. Um, but she has this conversation in one of her confessionals about um, her body, her choice, and how she's decided that the next time a tumor is not benign and she is faced with the fact of going under the knife again or not, she she looks no. in the camera and goes, it's my body. I, I don't want to do it anymore. And she's like, I'm going to go out on my own terms. And so she basically is starts bringing up, you know, the thoughts of, uh, uh, not aided suicide. What, what what's the uh, uh, euthanasia? Or, you, you, you know, like yeah. like those kind of uh, dying on my terms or I mean, like, the, that is that is assisted suicide, isn't it? Uh, yeah, kind of. But uh, so well, this is a topic that's like way beyond me. So I'm going to sound well, really stupid. Well, no, I mean kind of same. Like it, it the the, sh- the show toes the line of we are a an ABC you know family owned either watch this or Mickey's Adventure mm-hmm. you know you have access to it on the platform but then also what was really interesting was on this last episode they did high school musical it was their season one finale because the and, and the high school 10 years ago did high school musical and now they brought them back and the guy who played Ryan is a he identifies as a heterosexual male but he has all these um, conversations about Ryan as a character, his sexuality because you know people like assume that he's gay Mm -hmm. or he can't be gay because of Disney and he has this whole conversation about how he's exploring his sexuality and he's and he he literally talks about you know every time i would kiss a guy i didn't like it but uh, you know people would then uh, he uh, what was the thing that he said he he phrased it like i had to feel like i maybe was bisexual because people then because i didn't fit into the trope of heteronormative masculine male i must be this yeah but those that didn't work for me i don't know basically what i'm trying to say is i enjoyed encore a lot i'd be very interested for <laughs> you to watch it there are so many things about it that are a train wreck i need to find so many disney plus there's so many it. things about it that are a magical yeah yeah chef's kiss i, I cried a lot i laughed a lot there's a lot of there's a lot of awkward moments it's it. The, I think the main reason why I want to bring it up too is because it brings up this idea, which I think is very interesting. In a theater as like a whole, sometimes it makes people like in this Disney High School Musical episode, this guy who had been kind of towing the line in Chicago of being an actor and doing comedy and having you know a regular job. At the end of the episode, he turns to the camera and goes. This has inspired me to quit my job and I'm going to pursue acting full time. Okay. You know? And, yeah. And, and, and people who have been in the business or trying to pursue it for a long time, it raises questions of, 
like woof you know it, it, yeah. it's not it's not that easy brother but yeah it, it's it's very interesting i d- I wanted to talk about it because I kind of wanted to see, hear from listeners, see if people have been watching it, how other people view it. I, 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 for some reason, I thought we had talked about it previously, and I thought you had been watching. No, I don't have Disney Plus. Um, all the Disney titles that I want to watch, I already own, so like I don't need it. It's six ninety nine. The Mandalorian's great too. So honestly, I'm it's not worth a Star it. Wars person. Oh, that's so weird to me. Whatever. You know what, bitch? Whatever. I think you would really like Encore. I think I would too. I'm gonna try to find someone who has Disney Plus so I can watch it. I mean, it. I could just give you my sign in. I, I literally have Great. given it to every member of my family already. <laughs> so there are about twenty plus people already watching it. I listen, but I don't think they have I mean, hopefully I've no one from de- Disney is listening. I don't think there's no. a cap on it yet. I've so. always depended on the kindness of queers. Uh I already have like three different men from the course like having given me their passwords to other stuff like WoW Presents Plus and, <laughs> and things like that. Um We are a family. We're, we are a giant community. Yeah. Uh, I was going to make a joke earlier, but I can't now because of the woman with the brain tumor. But I was like, are there any episodes where they're like, so we're doing Annie again, but like, where's our Molly? And they're like, she died three years ago. Is there any well, of that? Well, I don't think anyone's died, but I mean, there's been a lot of different things too where, uh, I mean, a man was in a, a major, he he played Will Parker in Oklahoma and then he was in a major car accident. And so mm-hmm. he had been like known as a tap dancer and now he's in a wheelchair oh. and they had to work around that. And they actually- But see, that's like but, but, uplifting. Well, it was amazing because then in the episode, he met with Ali Stroker. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I was just sobbing like yeah. the whole time. It, it was no, so that's like No, that's beautiful. Yeah, like, like there, there are so many moments where, it, it really is great riveting reality musical theater television sure. which we haven't had a lot of that other than the glee project i never watched the no, glee project neither did I. all the glee projects brought us was alex newell um oh. and, well, ali stroker. and ali stroker yeah, yeah sorry i forgot about that um yeah i mean i i reality tv is a weird is a weird thing for me uh In a lot of ways, I feel like it has become the downfall of our society and we will officially never progress because of it as human beings. Like, so The Bachelor has come back. Yeah. And I have gone on record, like, to say that I watched the first two seasons of The Bachelor when it originally aired because I was 12 and that's what you do when you're 12. Mm -hmm. And then didn't watch it again until three years ago, uh, right before I moved out of my apartment because my roommates were watching it. It was the Nick Vialli, whatever his name I've is. I've never watched an episode other than that girl who said my vagina is made of platinum. That's, my, that's, that's the heart, season. My heart may be gold, my vagina is made of that, platinum. That, that was the Nick season. Yeah, that was Corinne. Because um, she was a hero. Corinne. That was Corinne. Corinne. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and it was a fun season. But like, I finished watching that season and I felt so off about myself after, like as soon as it was, as soon as it was over and I made it a point to never watch it again. But like... So many times with reality TV, we are rewarding fame and money to people who all they're doing is simply existing and looking pretty. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, for and, sure. And manipulating the human experience and, you know, doing it in a way th- that makes compelling entertainment. Yes. Uh, and Drag Race is the only reality show I watch because while there is some of that... It is still very much a a show about talent and and intelligence and creativity. Like there's still at least that you know. Like there's there's some form of a, of a creative outlet there. And also when it started, it was a completely marginalized group of people yes. that society thought were destitute. That they thought you know drag queens are transvestites. Drag yeah, acts. they're blah, 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 yeah. Blah. It is it is legitimized. It is legitimate legitima, legitimized 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 legitimatized legitimatized no legitimized. it's legitimized um a an, an artistic uh outlet yeah. that for decades has been considered lesser than yeah. uh and i mean it opened my eyes to it i was i have also gone on record to say like before i watched drag race i did not think much of drag i always mm-hmm. was sort of i separated myself from it and i like would really take a little bit of pride in that like i'm not that kind of gay i don't i don't mm-hmm. care about drag and i watched the show and i was like i made me realize what it can be and what it can do and all the ways yeah. it changes and and the 
stamina and the mm-hmm. creativity and intelligence that goes into it. And, and how as gay people, like, we also are, you know, I had that same thought, too, about drag before I had gotten into it. I, oh, I'm not that kind of gay. Yeah. Because of how much self-normalized home, internal homophobia we've been taught and conditioned over Girl, the have years. you read The Velvet Rage? No, I haven't. But I, I, It's probably a good thing you haven't. I feel like it, you it would probably break me. You I, wouldn't I, get out of bed for a yeah. week after reading it. I mean, it's a little simplistic in the sense of, like, it just basically says that all things that we do and say come from a place of rage and internal homophobia. I'm like, that's partially true. Yeah. But it's like, even when you're successful, it's to like prove that as a gay man, you can be successful. And that's like inner rage. It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Um, mm. But yeah, no, there is, we all have internalized homophobia because even though we are definitely at our most public and most widely accepted today, it's still not fully accepted. And there's, yeah. and even a lot of people that do accept us, accept us in like a weirdly marginalized way mm-hmm. I've said the story before at Pride last year where I was with a friend and like they were all woohooing but then the leather group came out and they got very uncomfortable it was like you don't get to support us like in the way that makes you comfortable you accept right. all of us or you don't Right. Um, and Drag Race is very much that same way and it's still you know promoting uh, information and education about these people and AIDS and uh, being transgender and mm-hmm. being kicked out of the house and conversion therapy and all that. Whereas The Bachelor, it's, you know, in order to win Nick's heart, you're all going to put on bikinis and you're going to be play- emotionally manipulated. Yeah, be emotionally manipulated and play volleyball. Yeah. And like they, it's nobody's, first of all, nobody's actually on there to find love. And we all know this to be true. They're all there to become Instagram influencers. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what a wonderful contribution to society you are. Right. You know, like what a wonderful use of oxygen you are. Well, and I think that's maybe why I also wanted to bring up Encore too, is because yes. it, it brought up that fact with that guy. And he's not the only one who has said it, where it kind of sparks this thing in people of, you know, they had this dream, reality kicked in, they gave up that dream long ago, and they started another life. And now, now some of them are deciding... I'm going to switch back and pursue this career mm-hmm. in the arts. Like, it's just that easy. But it's, you know... Because it, it's... It, right. And and so it brings up this... It brings up this version of artistry and being an artist and being a musical theater performer that as someone who has to pay their dues, you, you know, you it, it's so much work. It, it's a craft. It's a yeah. craft that takes years and years and years to develop and to, you know, to find your voice, to find your style, to find what it is that you bring to the to the theater canon and, and to find yourself. And so it, I, I love it so much. But hearing that yesterday really kind of set me off on this thing of like, hmm, I watched this show to support musical theater. But what is it actually saying to people, and and what is what what are people gleaning from it? And yeah. is it is this man's life ruined now? Yeah. Have we completely ruined this man? It's possible. Well, I mean, I think that uh, from what I can gather from the promos and from your description, it sounds like it's more meant to be sort of a. you know reconnecting to that part of you that that gave you uh, happiness, and yes. not necessarily pursuing it again, but. Uh, allowing yourself to enjoy it again and and to underline to highlight the importance of the arts in education mm. and the emotional uh pleasure that it can yeah. give and there's a ton of that yeah which, is w- great. which i'm sure uh but yeah i don't i don't know maybe this guy will be the male jessica vosk and like come back from his nine to five and take broadway by storm completely or yeah. or you know he's gonna come back 15 years from now living in a studio apartment he's like well I booked a job two years ago but I'm, I'm I've committed to it right exactly. I don't know why I gave him that accent like he's probably no, that was 30. that was exactly how we spoke mm. um, I just understand yeah. people no I I, I, I I encore tribe let me know what you think you know it's, yeah it's let us know in the comments below yeah um is there anything else we need to cover today? It's so warm outside. Global warming is real. And so I'm sweating like a muffle. Yeah, I'm no, sure you fucking, are as well. Yeah, no, it's it fucking, it's awful. Um, like, I, I got on the subway on my way to come over here. And I just like, it's that weird situation where you think to yourself, what a beautiful day. Fuck. Yeah, it's January 11th. It should not yeah. be a beautiful day. It should be frigid. No, and what's worse is that it's not 
consistent. Like that's what's really mm-hmm. the global warming is. I'm gonna like, get sick again. I can yeah, feel it. It was 30 <laughs> degrees like three days ago. It's gonna and be now 66 60. tomorrow. Yeah, and then it, but then it's gonna go back down to like 40 next yeah. week. Like it's that inconsistency that is uh, very much global warming, and yeah, it's what's making us all sick. It's why there are nine understudies going on at West Side Story right now. Uh, Yeah, just quick topic on that. You know, they've injured their Tony. They've injured their riff. I mean, the riff's been completely replaced. Yeah, he he has to be. Something went on there. Yvonne Hoffe loves his reign and actors be damned. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Are you seeing that? I really don't care to. I made it very clear how much I don't like Yvonne Hoffe. Amar go fuck himself is still in it. And like, I don't. Exactly. That's my biggest problem with it is I really... I, I don't know if I can support um, a show like that. No. Same with MJ. I mean, the, the casting, the majority of casting was released this week, and there mm. are some people that I think are fantastic in it, but there were also some people, or not some people, it's just that I, I read that and my stomach churns, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I, I know that it's hard, and I know that jobs are scarce right now. What was it? I, I, I had never read, I never thought of this in terms this way, but I think the Ensemblist mentioned something, and someone posted it online this week, that there are currently 99 people working in ensemble tracks across all of Broadway right now. So that's 100 people mm-hmm. that are in the ensemble of Broadway shows. And when you think about that, and how many actors there are in New York, you're like, yeah. Of course we're all scrambling for jobs. There's yeah. just nothing out there. There's but- nothing out there, and the demands of shows have gotten harder, which makes it also harder to maintain. Yeah. Uh, which is what, like, I understand... People get, get shit all the time for calling out. And I'm like, listen, bitch, what people were doing on Call Me Madam in 1950 is so different from what they're being asked to do in Moulin Rouge and West Side Story oh right God, now. Yeah. Like, I, I would love to see Ethel Merman try to sing Karen Olivo's track in Moulin Rouge eight times a week. I would love to see her try. Well, she'd be um, dead again. But... She'd, yeah, she would die yeah. all over again. It's yeah. The demands have become so insane that, like, if you are not at 100, you have to call out because then you hurt yourself and yeah. then you ruin the rest of your career. Yeah. Um, yeah, or you tweet really awful things and you still get promoted, um, which is a shade towards uh, a certain playwright that I won't mention. Uh, just know that we've brought him up before, and you're just sort of sitting there going, "Girl, like, get back to writing. Like, stop tweeting and get to writing because mm-hmm. that's what you, that's what you've chosen to contribute to society. And your tweets are not interesting or special; they're just rude." Mm-hmm. Um, and shallow. Mm. Uh, yeah, take those take those hints and, and see what I'm talking about, bitches. Uh, or, you know, rate us or subscribe or, or, yeah. or recommend. Rate and subscribe rate and recommend. And, yeah. and um, don't die. Don't, and don't die. Try your best not to die. Uh, yeah, this has been The Breakdown. Uh, who should we have close us out today? Um Part of me is like Karen Oliva. That's what I, I was thinking too. That's I. I, I we've just, never had her. We haven't. But like my thoughts on Moulin Rouge were not great. But don't do Moulin Rouge. Do um. No 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 no. Her entrance into In the Heights. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It'll just be that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll do Karen Oliva. We'll do we'll do uh, In the Heights. That's definitely a high spot for her. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for listening, guys. It's the breakdown. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Thanks, Karen. Bye. That was very, sorry, that was very uh, anticlimactic. ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.